our second last week in this series of working our way through the Gospel of John and particularly trying to focus on discovering how God works in the world. Um, And in this passage particularly, the Lord Jesus is very clear of how he works in the world by his spirit, and so we're going to focus upon that. I want to read to you from John chapter 16. I want to read uh, verses 5 to 15. Um, And I I didn't bring my NIV, so... I've got new RSV, so, and I really don't like reading what's not on the screen, so I'll try and read from the screen, I think. No. Yes, you read your Bible. Bad Christian girl. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. It was very gracious of you. No, that was, oh, I'm sorry, I apologise. That was, that was, I'm sorry. I'm bad, Daryl. The Lord Jesus has spoken about the fact that he's going away and he's just told the people that he's going to, uh, they're going to be in trouble uh, and he's leaving. And now he follows that conversation up with this. He says, but now I am going to him who sent me and none of you is asking me, where are you going? Rather, you're all filled with grief because I've said these very things. Um, But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocates will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. When he comes, he'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people don't believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of the world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, uh, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all truth. He won't speak on his own, but he will speak, my words, only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I say the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. That's our reading for this morning, and it's really in the... It's getting towards the end, but it's in the middle of a context where the Lord Jesus has transitioned from pretty much chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, for that matter, all hang together. And it's worthy of reading it and rereading it and rereading it. And each time you do, I'm sure that the Holy Spirit will enlighten you with something else. The Lord Jesus has moved from emphasizing love, both his love for them and him, him wanting the disciples to love him, to remain in his love. And if we do love him, he says that we'll obey his commands. And he also says that we are to love one another. And then he moves from that to saying the emphasis becomes on hate. Because he is going away and if we are close to him and we follow him and live like he filled, then just like the world treated him, the world will treat us. And so the Lord Jesus is wanting to speak into the reality of the situation of the world we find ourselves in. Wouldn't it be nice? Have you ever thought this? When you get converted, when you come to know the Lord Jesus, when you accept him as your Lord and Saviour, wouldn't it be nice just to go to heaven straight away? Wouldn't that be good? No more temptation, no more problems, no more issues. There's only one thing wrong with that. If that's what had happened, then Christianity would have lasted one generation. You would never have heard. And if you go... 
then how are the others who haven't heard, how are they going to hear? So while it's a nice idea, it's not the plan of God or the purposes of God. We have to go on following Jesus, living for Jesus in a world which doesn't love Jesus. That's the reality of what he says to them. And that certainly is going to cause some tension. It'll cause tension not just in our relationships at work or in the world itself, um, but it can even bring tensions and difficulties into very close relationships, into families, into marriages, where one is a believer and where one isn't. And so the Lord Jesus says that you can expect two things living in this world. You can expect to experience social hostility... You can expect people to be opposed to you because this world is under the, king, the reign of Satan. He's the prince of the power of the, the, world, of the air of this world. A lot of things are under his influence. That's why so many things keep going wrong. But you can also experience, expect to experience, the Lord Jesus says, spiritual help. I'm going to send you somebody who's going to be a great assistance to you, who will work in the world and who will work in you and who will work through you in the world. That's what he's saying about the work of the Spirit here. So the implication is the Lord Jesus wants us to go on living in the world. He doesn't want us to withdraw from the world. We'll come back and talk about some of that. As you read through those chapters, 13 to 17, you'll find that the Lord Jesus has left us a legacy. And he's let, let me go through it very quickly. I don't want you to... Um, what? I don't want you to remember these things. I want you just to take note of them. And then as you read through the passages again, you'll see them and you can list them yourself. I've come up with 10 and there's probably more. Number one, he's, given, he's left us a legacy of the proof of his love. Chapter 13, verse 1. I'm not going to read every time where the verse is. But it talks about the Lord Jesus had, um, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And he goes on through those chapters to talk about his love. The legacy that he loves us. Number two, chapter 14, he talks about we have a place in heaven, a room prepared for us. Chapter 14 again, we have the guarantee of power that he said that the works he did will do, and not only what he did, will do greater works. Not greater in quality, but greater in quantity, I think, is how that's to be understood. There is the assurance of answered prayer. Ask whatever you wish, whatever you want and whatever you wish, in my name and according to the Father's will, and I'll do it. There's a promise of um, inner peace, his peace. There's the promise of fruit as we remain in the vine. There is the promise of the pledge of joy, his joy. He does mention in chapter 15 and again here in 16 about the pain of persecution. But he also promises the presence of his spirit and the possession of truth, the spirit of truth. Ten legacies the Lord Jesus has left us as his followers. Now, despite those promises, that legacy... We can be sure of this, that as we are genuine followers of the Lord Jesus, we are going to experience the world's opposition. Jesus says, if you love me, if you live for me, you'll end up suffering for me. The New Testament's pretty clear about that. Now, we live in a pretty privileged society in Australia. And the opposition we experience is really quite low-key. But I think the truth, the axiom is... If you're not suffering for Jesus, inverted commas, what does that mean, suffer? If you're not suffering for Jesus, then you really should look in the mirror and say, am I really living for him? Am I loving him? Am I being fully obedient to him? Or am I somehow 
compromising and keeping the light under a bushel or under a bowl and hidden? Or am I doing something which is not consistent? Because if I sincerely love him, do walk in full obedience to his commands, you're going to come across oppositions and difficulties. Our values are different, our behaviour is going to be different, and the world is not going to like it. The Lord Jesus says we can expect that. In fact, he contrasted. He said, they will hate you, I will love you. They will be your enemy, I will be your friend. They will persecute you, but I promise to be answering your prayers. They'll give you trouble, I'll give you peace. They'll make you sad and sorrowful, I'll give you my joy. They may even kill you, I'll give you eternal life. They are living under Satan's rule, you're going to be living under my rule. There are these amazing contrasts in the reality of what Jesus is saying to them. So to jump in specifically to this passage this morning, he says remarkably something which might be shocking. Verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. It's better that I leave. You're better off without me. Well, how can that make sense? Wouldn't we be better off with Jesus? Well, he says no. It's to our advantage. In fact, we are in a better situation than the disciples were than when Jesus was here. I remember when I first became a Christian, and you probably did too, that when I started reading the New Testament, the Gospels, for the very first time, I just wished that Jesus was still here so that I could see him, talk to him, and so on. Wouldn't that be good? And particularly in the very early days when I was seeking, um, if I could see Jesus, then I would know he was real. It's not just religious gobbledygook but that it really is real. No, Jesus says, it's much better that I go because the Holy Spirit will replace me. Why is it better? Well, it's better because Jesus was here physically, so you could only ever have him externally. Jesus was here, and because he was here physically, he could only ever be local. Because we live in Australia, the chances are very high that we would never have seen him anyway. Not in our lifetime. So it's much better. Because the Holy Spirit is here and he's not uh, external, he is internal. And he's not local, he's universal. Imagine it like this. Imagine, imagine we could actually do this, that in our church bulletin we advertise and we says, next Sunday the Lord Jesus Christ himself in person, in the flesh, will be in our pulpit. Say that again. What? Not physically. You're not physically here. Physically. Physically. Body. Not here. Right? You're the right-hand side of the Father. Not here. It's coming. But Adrian's correct. He is here by his spirit. We'll get to that. Don't rush me. Just imagine that we had in our bulletin, imagine that we could advertise and say, the Lord Jesus Christ himself in body will be in our pulpit. And after the service, he'll do ministry and he'll be healing people and so on. What do you think would happen in this room? It'd be full to overflowing, wouldn't it? And then imagine, and some of you are going to get to go and have lunch with him. You can't all go because there's too many of you, but some of you can go and have lunch with him. Wouldn't that be fantastic? But it's better. Because he is here by his spirit. Every Sunday. 
Now you see the disconnect? See how much exciting it would be, we would think, if he was here physically, that we could see him, feel him, touch him and have that ministry done by him? But it's all external to us. And then he'd be gone somewhere else. But we actually have that same privilege every Sunday with him being here, not physically, but being spiritually here. And if there is a disconnect between those for you, then that is a pointer, an indication to you that for you, the awareness of his presence, the aliveness of Jesus through his spirit in you needs to be stronger. That he is just as present as he would be or could be physically. Does that make sense? Now that probably indicates for you, certainly does for me, that I have to grow in that awareness, that I have to develop into that far more, that I'm to be far more conscious of his presence and of his spirit and responding to that. Now I know whenever we start talking about the Holy Spirit, some of us get very, very nervous because there is some really weird, stupid stuff that goes on in the world in the name of the Holy Spirit. And that just wrecks the potential of what is real for us. The Lord Jesus says it's better for us that he goes away because then he will send the Spirit. It's better for us to have the Spirit than to have the Lord Jesus here physically. Now theologically, of course Jesus is correct, but to expand it, Jesus would be saying, if I don't die, then your sins won't be covered. If I don't rise from the dead, there is no eternal life. If I don't ascend to the Father, then I won't be sending the Spirit. And the Spirit can only come after I have done my work because the Spirit comes to reveal my work. The Spirit comes to... Um, enlighten people about my death, resurrection and ascension. So it's better that I go because then my work is finished and then the Holy Spirit comes it's like a tag team and he continues what I started. And he, in fact, will guide you into truth that I'm not capable of doing at this point in time. The Lord Jesus says it's better. So there's something there for us to grow in our awareness of the Spirit each morning, of talking to the Spirit, praying to the Spirit because he is fully God, of communicating with him. And what you will find, that as you grow in your awareness of the Spirit, you'll grow in your love and awareness of who Jesus is. Because the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus to make him preeminent and prominent. Well, how does God work in the world? What does Jesus say? Well, he says, I'm leaving and it's good that I'm going because my work will be finished, but it'll also be better for you that you have the Holy Spirit. What will the Spirit do when he comes? Verse 8. When he comes... In the world, he will prove the world wrong about sin, righteousness and judgment. He will come and he will be at work in people's lives, in the community, and he'll be using primarily a three-pronged approach. This is not all he will do, because the Lord Jesus has said, verse 12, there's lots of other things I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. So he just gives them this very simple outline. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world that they're wrong. He's at work. We don't have to convict the world or convince the world that they're wrong. That's his job. But he will do it through us, as I'll explain in a moment. He'll convict the world that they're wrong about sin. And the majority of the people in the world, while they will acknowledge that they are not perfect, while they will acknowledge that they have committed some wrongs, primarily they think, though, that there is a lot of sin in the world, but it's usually other people. Most people don't tend to point the finger at themselves. They don't acknowledge it for themselves, that they're not as bad as those people. And they have their own list. 
just like we probably have our own list of what would a bad person be. Most people tend to think of themselves as being good and kind and helpful, decent sort of people. But the Holy Spirit comes to open their eyes for them to realise, as Jesus explains it in verse 9, the Holy Spirit will convince them about sin because they don't believe in me. Their biggest sin is that they are ignoring the Lord Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit will be trying to open their eyes, he'll be trying to persuade them about their, their sinfulness and they, that they need to respond to Jesus. He will be saying things into their conscience or in their sleep or through our words of testimony that people need to believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit, secondly, will convince the world about righteousness. Not unrighteousness, righteousness. And when the Lord Jesus says this, what he means is he will convince the world about righteousness because I am going to the Father. What Jesus means is the Holy Spirit will convince the world, convince the world, that Jesus Christ is righteous and that he has been accepted by the Father. He died on the cross under the penalty and curse of sin, paying the penalty for all sin. He wasn't rejected. He rose again from the dead. He's been fully accepted by the Father and therefore is completely declared righteous. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. Convince people that the Lord Jesus not only paid for sin in full, but that he is righteous and that therefore his righteousness can be given to them, can be imputed to them. And finally, the Holy Spirit will convince the world of judgment. Now, initially, Jesus means the judgment at the cross because the prince of this world, the ruler of this world, has been condemned already. That happened on Calvary's cross. Now, if the ruler of this world, the biggest rebel out, has been judged already, then everybody else who lines themselves up in his kingdom, everybody else who is like him, will likewise face the same evaluation. That God won't let people get away with sin, that Satan's days are numbered, so are theirs. Satan has already been judged, they will be. That's why they need Jesus. They need to repent of their sin. The Holy Spirit will be convincing them that they're guilty. The Holy Spirit will lead them to Jesus, that it's possible to have his righteousness. And the Holy Spirit will be wanting to persuade them to flee from the wrath, the judgment to come. So now the Spirit of God will use the Word of God and he'll use the child of God to talk to people about the guilt of their sin, their need for righteousness and the judgment that is coming. And he does that with a view to them becoming followers of Jesus. He doesn't do it just to make people guilty or feel condemned. He does it like a doctor, analysing them so that they can be healed. That's what the Holy Spirit wants. He wants people to come to know Jesus and he wants people to come into fellowship with the Father. That's why he's working in the world. Excuse me. And he does so primarily through the church. It's not just him independently out there doing it by himself, though there is an element where he does do that in the world but he primarily does it through his people. He therefore wants to use your lips. Your lips need to be available to him. He wants you to talk to others, the people who are estranged from him. Now, just as a quick aside, and I know time's gone, but it's important for us to realise that there are, there are, David Pawson gives, there are five responses Christians have to living in the world right here, right now. Don't have time to go into all of them, but the first two I'll just jump over. He says, number one is retaliation, where people, Christians, respond the same way to non-Christians and treat them. They hit me, I hit them back. It's retaliation and there's no difference. That's not appropriate. 
There is Christianization, which is where we try to convert a whole nation or call it a Christian nation, and we try to do it politically, and so then we treat everybody as if they are Christians. That's a strategy that doesn't work either. These ones. Thirdly, there is isolation. Some Christians withdraw from the world. They have nothing to do with the world. Even when they go to a secular employment, they go on a bus listening to their Christian sermons or books on their iPod, not engaging with anybody else on the bus. They get to work. They don't engage with anybody at their work. They have lunch by themselves as they read their Bible or whatever they do by themselves or they have their Bible studies with their other Christians and they get on their bus at night when they're going home and they do the same thing. When they get home, they don't talk to their neighbours, they go inside to their Christian home and they stay there where they watch Christian TV and listen to Christian radio. They live in a bubble. That's isolation. Jesus doesn't want us to do that either. He, in fact, wants us rubbing shoulders with the world, wants us out-contacting them. Fourthly, there's adaptation. This is where we play the game where I'm in church, I'll behave as a Christian, follower of Jesus. I'll sing the songs, I'll contribute to the offering and I'll have fellowship afterwards. And then when I go home, unless I'm going to my Christian home, and if I'm not in a Christian home, then I'll be a different person. And when I'm at work, I'm not a Christian, I'm a person at work. So I laugh at all the inappropriate jokes, I even tell them and I misbehave and I don't live like a follower of the Lord Jesus at work. I have this dual existence. Excuse me, that's adaptation. When in Rome, do what the Romans do. When in the world, behave as the world behaves. When with Christians, behave like Christians. And Jesus doesn't want us to behave like that either, obviously. But that's the pressure. What does Jesus want? He wants evangelisation. He wants you to be real. In this context, at home and at work, being an authentic follower of Jesus, uh, being, doing it to the best of your ability, and when you mess up, and we mess up, when you mess up, then you do what Christians do. You confess it, and you own it. You apologise, or you ask to be forgiven, and you move on. You try to be as authentic as you possibly can. He wants us to be building relational bridges with people who don't know him. That's why he left us here. Now, I know you know it, but it's good to be reminded. So the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, will be at work in the world. Jesus says, and he's going to work through us in that as well. Then Jesus goes on and says, listen, verse 12, I have many things to say to you, but I can't, you can't bear them now. Well, I've got many things I want to say too, and I don't have time. Two things, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he'll, one, he will guide you into all truth. He won't speak of his own, he'll take what he hears and he'll pass it on to you. He will guide us into truth. Number two, he will glorify me. He'll glorify the Lord Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit will do in the church. He will guide us into truth. He will take the words of Jesus and remind us of them. And primarily to the first apostles, he led them into truth and they wrote the New Testament so that when we read the New Testament, we're reading the words of Jesus to us, the things that Jesus wanted to say to us. But the Holy Spirit speaks to us primarily but not only through the scriptures, through the New Testament. That's the most important way. That's the clearest way and that's the inerrant, infallible way. But the Holy Spirit also speaks to us in other ways. He'll illumine our understanding of the scriptures, but he also speaks to us through words of knowledge, words of wisdom. If you had the gift of tongues or interpretation or even through prophecy, they're not canonical. They don't have authority over anybody's life except the individual person who was using those gifts. And he will never contradict the scripture. 
So the Holy Spirit will continue to guide us into truth. So we need to be students of the word, but also listening to the spirit of what truth he's wanting to reveal to us. Finally, he will glorify the Lord Jesus. He will glorify the Lord Jesus by always pointing to him, by revealing more of Jesus to us. The Holy Spirit is an advocate, a comforter, a counsellor, exactly like Jesus. Just like Jesus is exactly like the Father. The three in one reveal each other. And the work of the Spirit primarily is to draw our attention to Jesus, pointing to him, not drawing attention to himself. So the threefold work of the Spirit, convict the world of their guilt and need of Jesus. He'll enlighten disciples, enlighten us through the scriptures primarily, and all with a view to bringing glory to Jesus. God is at work in the world doing those three things. And he wants us to be cooperating with him in the world, in the church, and glorifying Jesus. Time is gone. Let's stand together. <clears throat> if you guys like to come, I'll pray. We'll close our service, I think, and invite you to have some fellowship with us and to chat about some of these things together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for accomplishing your work and for sending the Spirit. We want our lips to be available for him to use, that we with him might testify about Jesus. We have asked, Lord, that you might help us to have those conversations this week. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you might guide us into truth, into all truth. Reveal more of the Lord Jesus to us, that we might grow like him, but also fall more deeply in love with him. Finally, Lord, we ask that you might glorify the Lord Jesus through us in all that we do. Go before us into this week. Grant to us a sense of your presence. Give us your grace. Forgive us for our sins. Give us your mercy. And empower us by your spirit to be fed and come followers of Jesus. We ask it in his name for his sake and for his honour. And everybody said, thank you everybody. Have a great week. Go and have some fellowship together. You can be seated.